businesses are the same. A really easy example would be go sell typewriters. I'm sure there's a market for all typewriters, but temper your expectations, you're probably going to retire off that. And it really is this idea of saying, what's the profile of a successful business? It helps put it in writing. It requires you to think through things and not suggesting that you need a, a long business plan. But if you really wanted one today, just get yourself a chat GPT description, tell chat GPT to spit out a business plan for you. And if you haven't done it already, it's amazing. But effectively, it's a blueprint. It gives you a guide as to what direction the business should take in order to realize some semblance of a vision. Welcome back to The Bit and Rich Show. You are in for another treat today with Christian Marquez. And Christian is the founder and president and CEO of Finstrat Management. We talk a little bit about his background and how he had a multi-billion dollar IPO and some of the lessons that he learned in his experience as a financial planner, understanding the analysis of financial planning, understanding profitability, what he's currently doing with his accounting services and what he does is helping small business owners and larger businesses as well with uh, fractional CFO work. It's actually really fascinating. And I will tell you, we get into the specifics of finance, profit loss, balance sheets, cash flow analysis. So if you are at a stage in your business where this is top of mind and a focus for you, you might want to go back and re-listen and take some notes on some of this and try to pick out some of these data nuggets, we can call it for this episode. So get ready for another conversation on The Better Than Rich Show with Christian Marquez. Welcome to The Better Than Rich Show with your hosts, Andrew Biggs and Mike Abramowitz. The Better Than Rich Show helps ambitious leaders who are on a mission to leave the world better than they found it, change their perspective on what's important, increase their income and impact, and systemize their life and business. If you've ever struggled with finding your purpose, have felt disconnected or distracted, or found yourself going through the motions, this show will remind you that what you do matters and will re-inspire you to chase your highest dreams. It's time for you to become better than rich. Welcome back to the Better Than Rich Show. I'm your host today, Mike Abramowitz, and I am here with Christian Marquez. Christian, welcome to the podcast, brother. Mike, thank you for having me. Hey, we're excited that you're here. I've recorded your bio separate after the conversation, so they already know a lot about you. So we're going to dig right into the conversation because you have a pretty impressive bio here. And I think a lot of the listeners to the show really appreciate a lot of our guests that talk specifics and value add when it comes to their genius in business. And your genius is CFO work, accounting services, financial planning, path to profitability. I would love to just give them a taste of what this conversation is going to reveal to them. So why don't we start with why is it important for someone listening to the show? They might be a visionary. They might be like, I'm just trying to grow stuff, but sometimes get reckless with their money. So tell me, why would you encourage a listener say, listen to me, don't be reckless with your money, focus on profitability. All the shiny objects and stuff is not the real stuff. Whatever you would speak to that, let's dig right into the meat of why is it important to do financial planning? Why is it important to talk about profitability? Why is this irrelevant to the listener? Let's start there. I think it's a great starting point. And if there's a parallel that probably resonates with most people, it's imagine living in your home. Probably take for granted the fact that a lot of planning had to go into it to get to where it is. And this presumes that most homes are in good shape, solid foundation, sturdy. And so if you think about it, it really begins with an architect's going to create a set of blueprints. It's a blueprint, so effectively a guide that explain to the builder what needs to be done. I'm oversimplifying it. There's a whole host that needs to go into it. Beyond that, zoning, planning, licenses. The same concept exists within a business. You're building something. While all businesses are similarities that exist, and one of the big ones the way I think about is having a vision of what your home, i.e. business, is going to look like versus just throwing things against the wall. 
But that's the same with building a home. You start with ensuring your sewer and your water is in place before you start framing. And so similar concept exists. Hey, I have to make a decision of what type of business I'm going to start. Not all businesses are the same. A really easy example would be go sell typewriters. I'm sure there's a market for all typewriters, but temper your expectations. You're probably going to retire off that. And it really is this idea of saying, what's the profile of a successful business? It helps to put it in writing. It requires you to think through things and not suggesting that you need a, a long business plan. But if you really wanted one today, just get yourself a chat GPT description, tell chat GPT to spit out a business plan for it. And if you haven't done it already, it's amazing. But effectively, it's a blueprint. It gives you a guide as to what direction the business should take in order to realize some semblance of a vision. And are there any specifics, metrics that you suggest a business owner saying, all right, these are the KPIs that you really want to look for the health of your organization? Obviously, it's universal. Every business is different, like you said. But is there like a universal framework or philosophy that you like to teach or instruct on? There are. And I realize we're not on a podcast, but if we were in a classroom setting, I would start with a set of financial statements. So I'm going to ask everyone to follow along as best they can. But if you wanted to Google, say, balance sheet, let's start there. So uh, three core parts of a set of financials, balance sheet, profit and loss, and statement of cash flows. Each of them communicate a whole host of great information to help a founder or C-suite run their business. We'll start with a balance sheet. So a balance sheet is assets, liabilities, and equity. And the way to think about it is what are your assets and how are you financing them? And so the reason it's called a balance sheet is that it's a formula, assets equal liabilities plus equity. And so I'm going to oversimplify just to make my point. But if you had $100 in assets and you borrowed all of that, then you'd have $100 in liabilities because you owe that money to somebody and zero equity. If you started the business, Mike, and you put the $100 in the bank account from your own pocket, then you'd have no liabilities and $100 in equity. And so effectively, what we're talking about is how do you finance these assets? It really brings up this concept of leverage. And again, I'll go back to the house. Everyone on this call is probably familiar with a mortgage. A mortgage is a liability that's offset against an asset, your home. And that portion that you either had to put down or that you pay off all over time, your principal is your equity. Now, if you've ever sold a piece of real estate before, well, effectively, you can buy a home for 10 to 20% down, but effectively make materially more return than what you put down because you borrowed from the bank 80 to 90% to purchase the house. Well, with a business, it's the same concept. If you look at a company like Apple and you go to their website and look at their SEC filings and you look at their balance sheet, you'll see that Apple issues bonds. They sell bonds to the public. So here's a company that's cash rich, yet they're still selling, borrowing money on the open market. Well, why is that? Because they know that the interest that they would pay out to borrow from people like you or me or whoever's interested in buying their bonds is a fraction of the return that they would get running their main business. And so as a starting point, I encourage every single business owner to understand what are your core assets and are there opportunities to intelligently finance them? And sometimes that takes the form of outside investors, albeit you exchange control or it could be going to the bank and simply getting a loan. But in any event, as a starting point, understanding how you're going to finance your assets is really important. I mentioned profit and loss. And so profit and loss is showing you activity over time. It can be a month, a quarter, a year. But effectively, it's your revenue. It's your expense associated with generating that revenue and then fixed expenses generally characterizes operational expense, product development, sales, marketing, and general administrative expense. I don't know how anyone runs their business without having a strong understanding of everything I just rattled off on the piano. 
But more specifically, it's going to be gross profit. So revenue minus your cost of sales. Cost of sales are going to be the expense again. It was incurred to generate that revenue. So if you have customer success staff or you're paying a subcontractor to do the work to generate the revenue, it's cost of sales. Or if you're generating widgets, the inputs that go into creating that widget. But I want to know that gross profit so that I can calculate my gross margin. And believe it or not, I've seen instances in my career where you see, even before you get to paying back office staff, businesses are running at a loss on gross profit. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Because you're never going to get to a point where you're going to create something that's throwing off cash or that you can sell or retire on in the absence of having gross profit. Now, the question that I normally get after that is, well, what's a good gross profit? And that's where the value of financials come in, but also benchmarks. So one of the things that we do within FinStrap Management is we'll benchmarks key metrics like gross profit to say, hey, is this high or low? Uh, your gross profit may be 40%, but if most of your competitors in your space are at 60, well, why is that? And are you spending too much on inputs? Do we need to reconsider how you're delivering on your revenue? Or are you simply not charging enough because your revenue number should be on a per client basis? And so example, but just understanding items like that become really valuable because they provide insight into decision making. Uh, last but not least, I'd say is similar concepts of benchmarking product development, sales and marketing and GNA. But after we subtract out those expenses, we're left with net income. That same concept that I described a moment ago around gross profit applies to net income. Benchmarks exist to say, hey, are we losing money, break even or positive, depending on the stage of the business, because they're not all the same. But once we know that answer, then we can appropriately set expectations. Hey, we're five years into this and we're not even break even. That's a problem. Some exceptions. Or, hey, we are profitable, but we're doing 5% where our competitors are doing net margin. What do we do to improve these numbers? Last but not least, uh, cash flow. For any businesses that prepare their financials on an accrual basis, i.e. matching revenue and expense when it's earned, and having a cash flow statement actually shows you the flow of cash as it comes through the business. Case in point, you can book a million dollars in receivables, but if the cash doesn't come in, your bottom line actually doesn't reflect the benefit of that revenue until the cash comes in. And so a cash flow statement really is correcting for accrual accounting by showing you the flow of cash across your balance sheet and by effect. Long response, hopefully does a good job of giving insight that there is tremendous value in having at least a rudimentary understanding of a set of financials. Mike, I'm a bit biased because we sell CFO services. Historically, that is the role of a chief financial officer, is to work with the CEO, COO, and prepare these metrics, but more importantly, help connect the dots and identify where changes should be made in order to ensure you're tracking to that future vision as according to the blueprint. Yeah, Christian, this is really relevant because I believe a lot of listeners are hearing this and even stuff that maybe I learned in college as a student or saw it in a textbook, but actually being a small business owner, either A, dreadfully avoiding the books, or I pay someone like a virtual assistant to just do some bookkeeping or something like that for me and then everything in between. I, I get curious from the lens of the listener who says, there's probably a couple of different versions of listener, but there's a listener who's like a small business owner. I don't even have established credit for my business yet. So all the money in my bank account. So maybe there's any counsel that you could offer to that person on how they might be able to establish some credit to build a business or potentially using some of that credit to maybe grow the business. But then also, at what point do they need to get counsel from a company like yours or from a, like a fractional CFO type or, or someone who's an expert in their field? Yep. What are some of your responses there? I think this comes back to just fundamental of starting a business 
in answering the question, what business should I start? You've heard me reference this a moment ago, this concept of a profile. Ironically, I see on your bookshelf behind you, you have $100 million leads. I would encourage any of your listeners who either are thinking about starting a business or want to level up their game to start with Alex Hormozzi's $100 million offers. Phenomenal book. Alex did a great job. It is really a great book. I encourage everyone to read twice, take notes. But he's done a great job of laying out a formula to answer the question, what business should I be in? And I think it's extremely relevant because my experience, again, has been a lot of people have ideas. You can be really intelligent too and have all the logic in the world. But at the end of the day, none of it matters unless someone is willing to hand you money for what you're selling. And so it's this concept of validation and notwithstanding who you're selling to and what you're selling, how and when. I can't stress enough in the beginning, this evolution of a business, founder selling until that sales machine can be handed off to somebody else. I'll generally use a million dollars as a threshold. Until you hit a million in annual revenue, in my opinion, you have a micro business on your hands. And things like CFOs and investing in a lot of fun stuff that there's no shortage of on the internet to buy are nice to have. You know, yes, you need a website. Yes, you can use an email domain. But in the beginning, it's just validation that you can create a business that can create a reoccurring stream. Ideally, you can get to break even as soon as possible because if you can't, then you're going to need continuing sources of caches, whether that's you're borrowing from a bank or an investor. But in the beginning, it's going to be validate the business works by using revenue as a yard to validation that you're on the right track. And I, I mentioned reoccurring revenue. I know a lot of businesses that are at a million dollars in revenue, but their revenue is all over the place, meaning they can't get repeat buyers or their sales cycles are so long relative to the amount of expense that they have to incur to get there that they really should reconsider what they're doing. But let's say you, you get to that point, you're at a million dollars. I think that's the point where you start thinking about what's the appropriate infrastructure to put in place. I'm focusing on your core competencies and outsourcing the rest. It's never been easier to start a business because there's no shortage of fractional accounting and finance, legal, marketing, You know, effectively paying for really only what you need to run your business as compared to employing those disciplines in-house. I think business owners are well served from adopting the mindset of what do I do best? Let me focus on that exclusively and then outsource the rest. Now, you give up some control, but I would say call it the first $5 million in revenue. That's a great approach if you needed a threshold from me to when you start bringing some of those functions in-house. Now, there are exceptions. You know, If your business was heavy on hiring people because you're, that's just your service delivery, I could absolutely see a scenario where you hire a full-time recruiter just because you'd otherwise be spending a lot more with a third party. So it's case by case. It's not absolute by any stretch, but first million is going to be focused on sales. After that, you start thinking about how do I outsource key functions to partners I know who have a great reputation. It's a great response. I appreciate that, Christian. And one of the things that buy back your time, we talk about it a lot with Dan Martell. He talks about offload the admin client success or like fulfillment and the marketing as fast as possible. So that way you can focus on sales and leadership. So that's what we at Better Than Rich, we really specialize in trying to help you free up your time on those low value tasks by ideally putting a virtual assistant team. That's why one of our services is providing a team of virtual assistants for that reason, because it's helped us so much internally mm -hmm. like you, where it's like you saw a problem in the marketplace. You're like, okay, let me solve this problem. And I'd like to get into that just a little bit. I mean, you founded Finstrat Management 
assuming because you saw this problem amongst a lot of small business owners where it's like either they're focusing on the activities that don't produce revenue or they reach that million dollar plus threshold and they're actually not taking home or keeping uh, a lot of that dollars. I don't want to assume that. I'd like for you to tell the origin story. But, you know, you saw a problem in the marketplace and you decided to start a business to solve it. What is the origin story there? Let me go back a tiny bit. It'll be valuable context because I've been very fortunate to have a whole host of success, but some relevant failure as well that I think your audience will enjoy listening to. So after I got out of the service, I decided to pursue a career in accounting, finance, and investment analysis and got hired at a small consulting firm as a financial analyst. We were effectively doing professional services. The CEO was a go-getter, saw an opportunity in healthcare IT by developing software. And I effectively went from a financial analyst to product manager and over the course of nine years left the company general manager VP with a responsibility for about called a third of the company's top line or a little over $100 million. During that time had wild success, right place, right time. This was right at the inception of Obamacare. And so health plans, Aetna, United, the Blues throughout the country had a regulatory need to purchase what we were selling. And coupled with the fact that we had great managers, great staff, great tools, we were to create an intra-business in the course of two years that went from zero to 80 million in ARR. Had a pep in my step. Uh, A number of those companies' investors had a high opinion on me. And so I ended up co-founding a telemedicine company with two physicians. And so great example of what not to do. I'm a service academy grad. Those other two docs were Ivy League. You can see the business plan in the project section of my LinkedIn profile if you want to take a look. Ripping with logic and rationale. Raised $2.5 million pre-revenue. And then over the course of two years, created a total of $50,000 in revenue because I couldn't get any physicians to buy what we were selling. And it was a phenomenal, I mean, I learned a ton that really at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how amazing what you think you have is. Only matters whether or not someone's willing to give you cash for what you have. And so closed up shop, knew I wanted to get back to my accounting and finance route. So I started FinStrap Management, given my responsibility, serving as a GM, CEO, CFO. Knew that there were a lot of founders who found the raising outside equity very daunting and initially thought that I would help them in the process. Comes to find out that if you remember this from elementary, but it now makes sense. I remember one day the teacher was talking about Geigo, garbage in, garbage out. It went over my head at the time, but today I understand that dashboards and models are only as good as the underlying accounting debits and credits. And a lot of my competitors, their debits and credits are genuinely lacking. And it's not because they're not CPA. When we onboard a new client, and today we have over 30 that we work with, most financials that we inherit, I'd say 99% are a mess. It's just a degree. Debits and credit, chart of accounts aren't set up the right way. Revenue isn't appropriately recognized or expense incurred. Bank accounts aren't reconciled. It's a laundry list of items that we clean up. On a side note, I think the reason they're like that is because my competitors don't appropriately price their services, but that's a story for another day. But we do, and we're a bit unique in that regard. And so one of the first things that we do is we clean our clients' financials up and watching, enabling founders to see how their business is performing is really really fulfilling. It really is. I mean, there's something about an entrepreneur who wants to bring to the market a new service or a new product and just watching them succeed. It's fulfilling to be a tiny little role in enabling to do that. So we regularly help our clients close debt facilities, raise outside investors from venture capital or sell their business. But that really only happens because the financials are clean and produced on an accurate and timely basis. So that's how I got to where we are today. 
genuinely grateful because effectively accounting and finance is just, you know, the story is only as good as the underlying material. I'm presuming it's produced on a timely basis. And so that's been our core for focus. Fix it once relative to our competitors, but then help our clients monetize their business. And you said you, you have 30 clients. When you are attracting a client for your business or seeking a new client, what are some of the criteria that you're looking for to say, okay, this person is qualified? And I think the reason why I ask this question is because someone listening, number one, they might be interested, but number two is you mentioned Alex Ramosi, but I love about him. He's very explicit. It's like, we work with those that have a $3 million plus dollar business. So my content is designed to help you get to $3 million to steal everything until you get to $3 million and then come work with us. So I really love Hermosi. I love his philosophy. I love the way he approaches his business and the way he teaches. Those are a couple steps behind him. So I'm curious to hear from you, like when you're seeking a client, A, what is that client criteria, those 30 people? And then B, what counsel do you give to someone to get to that point where they are qualified? If they're not qualified, are there resources that you provide to them? So true to form, for those of you who have already read $100 million offers, Alex emphasizes, I agreed with him before I read the book. Today, we focus on businesses that are selling B2B SaaS software. We have since our inception seven years ago. And the reason we did that is because we know that B2B SaaS companies in particular have a dependency on accrual accounting. The reason they have a dependency on accrual accounting is because they're selling B2B SaaS. Founders, C-suite, board, investors all want to see SaaS metrics. So customer acquisition costs, rich CAC payback period is a menu of items. Going back to the Geigo reference I made, you can have the most beautiful dashboard on the world, but if the underlying accounting inputs are incorrect, it's inconsequential. And so that's how Finstrat took off the 42,000 some odd startups that there are in this country. A significant portion of them are software-based. And said another way, they have a need for our services. We've absolutely turned away business if it's B2C, if it's only hardware, fit this profile. So that's consideration number one. I think the other big thing too, it's a little bit more difficult to manage. I'm also sensitive to enjoying who we work with. I appreciate that starting a business is very stressful, especially if you're a little bit further in your career and you have a spouse at home and kids who are going to school and car payments and mortgage to make. But I personally got to a point and I encourage this to anybody. It's like having respect for yourself is really important as a starting point. But if someone's not going to treat me with respect, I'm not going to make any time for them whatsoever. And so it's not happened, I think, maybe but twice where I've said, hey, we're not a good fit. But I look for people who are professional, who listen. I'm not to say I'm infallible, human. I'm great, but I'm not perfect. Someone who's just light and fun and who will listen to what we have to say, even if they don't follow our counsel. That's our profile. In terms of getting to a million dollars, I referenced it earlier and I'll emphasize it again. Anyone who's listening to this, I've seen instances where founders will go out and say, I'm going to go hire a VP of sales, effectively delegating what should be, in my opinion, their responsibility until which point the machine is on. And by the machine on, meaning that they know their buyer's objections and how to overcome them so well that they can then go hire, I would say, start with two account executives to train them to take that function. Is it necessarily a million? It could be five. It depends whether you're selling big ticket or small ticket items. Absolutely makes a difference. Generally speaking, the bigger the ticket, the longer the sales cycle. That's also generally influenced by who you're selling to. Are you selling enterprise software versus a small business? But if I'm a founder, I'm disproportionately focused on my pipeline, top of the funnel, getting deals moved through there and closing them. Awesome. I appreciate that, Christian. I am curious from this standpoint for a listener, what's the so what for you? So you did this multi-billion dollar IPO with Involon, how do you say it? Inovalon. 
Innovalon. I, I have it on the, my talking points, but I'm not familiar with Innovalon, but I see it here. Why is it that you are still here speaking on a podcast, still started the Finstrat, leveling up this company? Like, why not just like kind of coast? Who's counting on you right now? Or what's the motive? What keeps you going? What keeps the fight inside of you? Why don't you speak to that for a little bit? So a couple different reasons. My youngest, believe it or not, graduated out of high school. My wife and I are empty nesters. And one of the things that happened with the transition is I got more time on my hands. I have a, just a personal opinion that you get out what you put in, coupled with the fact I have an opinion that community you know, as I look at the national stage, I don't like what I see, but I believe that for the most people, change is going to begin at home. And if there's a way for me to get back, whether it's local here in Bozeman, Montana, or across the country, because I'm working with founders, it's going to be making my experience and expertise available to the market. Broadly, I do that through FinStrap Management. On a more personal level, I'll, I, on a pro bono basis, we'll do free consultation with founders via Early Stage Montana, which is uh, an incubator that assists businesses based in Montana. I get their legs under them, and we'll do office hours where I'll just answer questions with my CFO. And, but I recognize I have accumulated a lot of great experience. I, I can say I consistently hear a lot of the same questions that you're asking. And I just get a, sometimes get a kick out of it. Like, well, everyone doesn't know these things. If I know them, everyone else must. But no, I just enjoy seeing people win. I know I love it when I win. And so I want everyone to, to benefit from that, especially for people who are looking to do things faster, better, cheaper. Effectively, one of the big stories in this country. I appreciate that. And I'm inspired by what you're doing because I'm not an empty nester. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum. We just had a newborn and I have a three-year-old. So we're on the opposite end of the spectrum. So it's very much for me to just create a foundation that is when I become an empty nester, it's I have options. I have the choice to do the things that you're talking about while simultaneously being 38 years old and having the freedom to also do them now too. So it's like the freedoms to do some of the things that I want to do now while simultaneously making sure I continue to have those freedoms in the future. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners listening right now, it's just take what Christian's saying and maybe even question, what is your motive? If you're getting kicked around a little bit in the business sector of your life, there's other sectors of life too. There's the relationship yeah. sector. There's the parenting sector. There's the community sector. There's the legacy sector. So Christian hit on a few of those. And I think that's an important reminder for listeners. I know we went in a lot of different directions, Christian. Is there anything else that we didn't hit on that you'd like to hit on today before we move to our final three questions we like to ask every guest? What you just said is really relevant and important. I'll keep it short, but again, I think it's a conversation in and of itself. So I mentioned my background is not only accounting and finance, but it's investment analysis. Next year, we'll mark two decades as a CFA charter financial analyst charter holder. For those of your listeners who are familiar with CFA or those who are not, it's just a heavy emphasis on portfolio management. So understanding equities, bonds, derivatives, alternative investments like real estate, and understanding how to structure those in a manner to do as well or if not better than market averages. Said another way, it's basically the study of money, how to generate it. So love the subject. It's fun. I regularly find myself in these conversations, especially with younger people who are um, starting their career and are asking themselves, how God's green earth am I going to afford a home in this market? What should I be doing with my time? The way I present it to them is it's important to draw a distinction. There's a difference between how you make your money and how you invest your money. And one of the reasons I call that out is because many times when I find myself talking to someone in their early 20s is they say, I'm going to go trade stocks and I'm going to become wealthy. And I get them to say, basically, what you think you're describing is how you're going to make money, but 
excuse me, how you're going to invest your money, but you're really describing how you're going to make your money. And while there are a very few handful of people who can generate consistent returns from playing the market, they're the exception. And so what I generally say is, look, answer for yourself, what's important to you? For any of your younger listeners who want to read a great article, Google Hunter Thompson article to his friend. He got asked this question when he was in his 50s or 1950s when he was young. Hey, what should I do with my life? Really short article or letter to his friend. Does a phenomenal job of effectively saying, understand who you are and what's important to you and then create your environment around you. And so having said that, one of the themes I consistently I see is choosing how we spend our time has been a universal consistency that I see. If that's the case, the thing that I found that really is the grand divider is frankly just having a steady flow of cash that can cover your expenses that enables you to do that. And in fact, that concept has been around for a really long time. If you go back and you read Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, one of the first things that they said they wanted to do was work 80 hours plus a week until which time they had enough passive income that they can stop and take a step back and say, okay, let me collect my thoughts. No better time. It's Well, I should say no better time than your early 20s to do that because you have the most time on your hand and you can take the most risk. And it absolutely changes as you hit, as you hit your 30s and then your 40s and it becomes more difficult. And so the question I get is, man, hey, I'm in my 30s and 40s. I'm employed in corporate America. I know I want to start my own business. How do I do this? And so my first response is, well, start the business when you're in your 20s. And hey, it doesn't have to be a B2B SaaS company. It can be an electrical company or plumbing company. Do something where we know there's demand and you can do a great job. You can change industries later. But if you find yourself where you're already married and you have mortgages and car payments and responsibilities for your kids, it becomes harder. If anyone's listening to this and you're like, shit, this is hard. Yes, it does get harder. And so that's where sacrifice and discipline and being really calculated with your risk taking is paramount. There's just no two ways about it, especially if you don't have the ability to borrow or you're just, you don't want to potentially ruin your Thanksgivings because you're going to your families and friends and asking them for seed capital to start that business. Mm. And so it can be done. I started the telemedicine company when I was late thirties, but as I mentioned, I had investors who backed me, but that wasn't before I laid out what I thought was a beautiful plan. Again, I encourage you to go look at my LinkedIn profile. You can read it all pre-chat GPT and there's a will, there's a way, but definitely you'll find me encouraging people in their early twenties to take risk now. And again, I'll go back to hundred million dollar offers is if you just need some guidance on a starting point as to how to think about what to start that's a great book christian thanks for the reference to the article hunter thompson's letter by the way his to friend to hume logan we'll put that in the show notes i think i'm just like skimming through the letter i'm like man that is a really good letter so very profound wisdom there and christian we like to ask every guest three questions these are quick hitting first top of mind what comes to you the first question is what do you think the world needs most today Courage and leadership. I don't know where it went, but I don't know which stage we're talking about, whether it's local, state, or national. But where I look, I don't know what's going on. I'm very grateful my parents raised me to be polite and have manners, but feel like for some reason we've fear has creeped into our psyche and no one is willing to very politely and professionally say, no, this is off. And I think we could get back to something that more resembles the sanity and some of the things that I see going on if more people were just to say, what's going on here? All stages, even corporate as well. And I'm not saying it's definitely a bit of a courage and leadership. Second question is, what are one to three books you think people should read? We already got $100 million offers and leads, maybe two others. My go-to is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Maybe everyone says that. I know the book's been around for a really long time. I'm not a big book reader other than current events, just to stay up with my profession. I'm an introvert by nature. 
And I'm very fortunate to have a wife who's done a great job of helping me overcome my social inabilities to connect with people. But that book also did a really great job of helping me in the mindset of being able to engage people. Not my own ends per se, but because I just now have a better appreciation of everyone in their story. It's fascinating to be able to tease it out. It's a great book. It's one of my all-time favorites. So thanks for bringing that one up. I love that one. Last question, Christian, is what does it mean to you to be better than rich? We're really fortunate in that we live in an age where we have a lot of means at our disposal. This is what do we do with that knowledge and that time, capital, on our career? And I think, generally speaking, I would define rich as monetary wealth, but there's spiritual, there's relationship, and there's health. Make an effort to categorize all of my decisions into three buckets. It's my health, it's my wealth, and my legacy. Legacy is synonymous with relationships, whether in my family, my friends, and my coworkers. While wealth is very important because we simply live in a world where things cost money to live and to have experience, I prioritize my relationship with God number one. So prayer is really important, being considerate, and whether it's my check or time to other people. But then two, taking care of this body is a gift. Heavy emphasis on diet, sleep, exercise. Big fan of Andrew Uberman. For those of you who don't listen to his podcast, talking about different protocols you can to optimize your health. But basically, understanding that I have a responsibility to give back, I'm going to work really hard, I'm going to do everything with my utmost skill and ability, but I'm also going to reinvest that into my spiritual and growth as well as my health. Great response. Christian, I'm sure some people might want to stay in touch with you leaving this conversation. I know you already mentioned LinkedIn, so you could let us know what the spelling of your LinkedIn profile is. And of course, we'll put that in the show notes. And then anything else that you, if people want to stay in touch with you and learn a little bit more, where could they go? So if you go to LinkedIn, it's Christian, K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. My last name is Marquez. I'm as in my K-R-Q-U-E-Z. And if you want to send me a connection or request, just mention the podcast and I'll accept it. I get a lot of people just trying to sell me stuff, which I appreciate. But the other thing too, as a courtesy of your listeners, if you go to our website, our website is fin, F-I-N, strat, S-T-R-A-T, G-M-T.com. And you look underneath contact, you'll see there's a link where it says book a free CFO session. So if any of your listeners have a B2B SaaS business and venture band, they like to get some of my time, my pleasure to make myself available, listen and, and give feedback, no cost. Very cool. That's a great gift. And that website is finstrat.com. Is that right? Finstratmgmt.com. MGMT. Okay. Management. Got it. I just want to make sure. MGMT.com. Okay. Great. CFO-led accounting, finance, and reporting services. FinstratMGMT.com. So Christian, thanks for sharing your wisdom today and your information and your story and your background. We obviously appreciate that. And listener, as always, we appreciate you. Uh, There's no way this show can continue to grow and evolve without you. So thank you for subscribing and sharing with friends and leaving ratings and reviews. We always appreciate that. And I know a few of you are curious as to what's next for our community. If you want to stay up to date with everything, we are going to be sending some emails. We also be posting announcements to our Facebook group, Automate, Delegate, Systemize. So there'll be some information in there on Facebook. So we're up to almost 1500 members and we would love for you to join the conversation if you're not already there. So as always, leave today better than you found it. Till next time, we'll see you next week. Cheers. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at better than underscore rich and join our Facebook group at The Better Than Rich Show. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time. And remember, leave today better than you found it.